0: Hello and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. Let's jump in. We're going to be in John chapter 6. It's going to be verses 60 through 71. I'll step aside so you can see the verses on the screen. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me, for Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus said, I chose the twelve of you, but one is a devil. He was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, one of the twelve who would later betray him. This is the gospel of Christ.
1: Thanks be to God. I'd like to apologize for my hair when I was up here earlier. One of my kids graciously told me I look like a who from Whoville. So. <laughs> Just a little dose of confidence right before you get on the stage. <laughs> um, yeah, my computer broke. So I have real papers. And I'm a little anxious about it. I can kind of see them. I forgot my glasses too. Y'all, this, mo- this morning. Um uh, let me pray. <laughs> let me pray for us, please. Uh, Jesus, uh, thank you. Thank you for this room. Uh, thank you for these people. We we're praying this morning, and I was overwhelmed by the honor that it is to get to be part of what we do here uh, on Sunday mornings. And so I just, I'm just glad, and I'm grateful. And so I just pray over the next. Few minutes that you would um, you would wake up our memories. I feel like you want to build faith in us as we remember who you are. And so I just I, I just ask you to do that work this morning in us. In your name we pray. Amen. Um. Okay. So uh, just like uh, the who comment, there are uh, part of raising boys. I have all. All three of my kids are boys. Part of that work is um, a really awkward uh, work, and it, 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 there are some awkward moments. And um, and so I just want to tell you a few of those that um, all I believe have happened at grocery stores. That was something I was ill-prepped prepped for as a parent that there would be so many awkward moments in a grocery store and I'm sure that you've had these too you don't have to have like had kids to have awkward grocery moments I'm just going to give you some of ours things happen like um, especially when my boys were little uh, when my twins were small um, they would do things like uh, out loud ask a question like is that what fat is and then like point to a person you know and you're like Oh, dear. Or is that what old is? Because she's old, you know, and you're like, oh, my gosh, you, I love your questions. But can we just, like, maybe a little quieter <laughs> or, you know. Um, they uh, One time they saw we saw this man. It was around Christmas time. And we saw a man, um, and he had a red shirt and a white beard and a little bit of a belly. And so they pointed, and they were like, Santa. And this man has never been more offended in his whole life. Just like, how dare. You know, I'm like, it's Christmas. Like, wear a different color shirt if you don't want to. If you know, you know, dye your beard, I don't know. like it's gonna happen. Um, we uh, we taught our kids that I, I remember my my grandmother had um, very wrinkly hands, and the boys were obsessed with them. And so they would ask me about them all the time, and I told them, I guess at some point, I like, you know, Offhand comment. I was like, oh, uh, wrinkles are a sign of adventure. Like, if you have a lot of them, then it means you've had a lot of adventures in your life. Like, this is it. We want a lot of wrinkles, like, because we want a lot of adventures. And I remember being at the grocery store. We used to go on Wednesdays because um, there were free samples all throughout the grocery store on Wednesdays because it was senior citizen discount day. Um, and that's how you distract twins in a grocery store. Amen, Alan Coulter. <laughs> um, that's is, you go around and you have to get free samples. But the, uh, the cost of doing business that way, is that you then have to uh, um, you have to answer questions for all of the people who are struggling to see the labels and so this woman comes up and she was like trying to get us to help me uh, see if she was getting the right kind of triscuits and uh, one of my kids looked at her and they said you must have so many adventures because you have more wrinkles than I have ever seen (laughs) you know you're like okay. that is so great to do. Um, Here's another one. This one's awful. Um, They, they uh, went, we were in the bathroom. Uh, We were probably, they were probably training. And if you're probably training a kid, you have to be within like, I don't know, three feet of a bathroom at any moment and all of time. And so we're in there and everything finishes up. And a late, this story is too far. I'm so sorry. A lady comes in and um, has an upset stomach. And it's, it's clear, you know, bathroom, there's not you can't hide a lot in a, in a public bathroom. And so she has an upset stomach. And um, so we can hear. And then one of my kids really loudly goes, oh, good job. She went potty <laughs> and like clapping. And he's just like, oh, my gosh. Like we have to get out of this room before we ever see that woman's face because that is just a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. Okay, here's the last one. This is the This is the most awkward one. <laughs> <laughs> and I just told that one. Um, okay, there's this one aisle, and I can still see it in the old Kroger. It was like the natural food, the organic section, and you you came from the produce into that, and I let my kids out of the cage. Like, I let them out of the cart, and uh, so they're they're gonna, they were kind of going off on their own, and when they do, they round the corner, and they go up this aisle all by themselves, and I roll my cart around just in time to see them walk up to a man that we do not know, and both of them hold their arms in the air and say, Daddy, are you my daddy? This is our daddy. Like, They've planned this together at three. I don't know. He doesn't even look like Daniel. This is just a man. And he looks at me like, is it true? (laughs) And I'm like, no. Like, no, no. I'm so sorry. I don't know what they're doing. And they're just like, dad. And he just like hightails it down the aisle. And they're just screaming, daddy. You know. It was awful. It was awful, awful, awful. Awkward moment after awkward moment in the grocery store. Um. It, it, that's kind of where we pick up today in our story with Jesus. We have um, this story that Chad just read to us. It comes on the heels of a very Awkward moment with Jesus that we've just sort of like parachuted into. We've just like jumped uh, right into. Jesus has just offended um, a really big crowd. So I want to set you up and give you some context and then uh, talk about maybe what that means for us today. Um, We are in John chapter six. And so if your phones are still open to it or you're following along, look back a few verses uh, for sure. In John chapter six, uh, a lot of big things have happened. We've actually talked about a few of these over the last few weeks. Uh, Jesus has healed the 5,000. He has uh, walked on the water. He's gone to the other side of the shore. And the crowd that he just fed meets him on the other side of the shore. And he's been preaching to them. These big things happen. Um, And so it's at this other side of the shore in this sermon when Jesus is talking to this big, wide crowd who honestly just tried to make him a king. Like, they love him. Uh, He says this crazy thing. He looks at this crowd and he says, if you want to find your way to the Father, then you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And like... That sounds weird to us, but we have communion, you know, we have some things that that make that feel a little like, yeah, it's weird, but we talk about it sometimes. Um, this is Jesus is saying this to a first century Jewish crowd. Like this was incredibly offensive. This wasn't awkward, this was beyond awkward, this was offensive. This was a first century Jewish kosher crowd. This crowd had rule on their life that they were to never eat or drink of the blood of of any animals. It's from Leviticus uh, 17. They had set rules around how to butcher a piece of meat so that uh, you could eliminate the risk of blood coming in contact with meat uh, as much as possible. And it is to this crowd that Jesus says, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. It's one of those moments where uh, you look at your friend and just say, read a room. You know, like, that's not, this is not, not the room for this. It is beyond bonkers and it's beyond awkward. It is, it is shockingly offensive to this group of people. Uh, Like many stories that John tells us in the gospel, this moment also points back to an Old Testament moment. We've talked the last few weeks about John pointing back to things that happened with Moses. Uh, This week's story points back to something that happened earlier uh, with King David in 2 Samuel 23. Um, The prophet Samuel, he tells us the story about... David and his three warriors, that kind of sets up what Jesus says to his people. So I just want to super briefly tell you that story. Uh, The the prophet says that David had three mighty men or three warriors, three friends, three people he could uh, count on who would do anything for him. And David and these three men, they're sitting in a fortress. It's a time of battle. And uh, David has this comment that he's thirsty, but he's not just thirsty. He doesn't just want water. He's thirsty for this water from this one particular well in his hometown of Bethlehem. I think we can kind of relate to that. It's like how I think enchiladas are always good, but that I only dream about the enchiladas from Los Amigos, right? I really felt like there would be an applause, like a raging, but I guess you've never been to Los Amigos today. You can go. You're welcome. Hector, you're welcome. Um, that's it. It's like there are things that you crave from your hometown. Like when I go out of town and if I come back, that's what I want to do. I want to go eat at Los Migos. This is kind of what David's doing here. It's like I'm thirsty, but all oh, the water at this one well in my hometown. And so David, this is what he's craving. Uh, but unfortunately, Bethlehem has been occupied by the Philistines. And so there are soldiers stationed all the way all the way around uh, the well, which makes sense. If, if you have occupied an area, you want to cut off the water supply from the enemy and keep the water supply for yourself. So they're stationed all the way around it. Um, but these guys, they decide to go get him the water. Like they are his mighty men, and they decide to go do this for David. They're going to put their lives on the line in order to bring David back this water that he wants so badly. And they, they do it. They go, they like fight through the Philistine soldiers and they offer their bodies as a sacrifice in order to get some water um, from the well in Bethlehem and bring it back to David. But when the water arrives, when the water gets to him, David refuses to drink it. It reads like the most ultimate diva move in all of time. He says, no, he won't drink it. And then he pours it out. It's like, uh, I've, I picture Beyonce. I don't know why, like just feel like she could get away with that. Um, but he, he, he pours it out. He's like, no, I won't have it. And then he pours it out. But it only, it reads like a diva move. Like he thinks he's really self-important, but it actually wasn't. Uh, These men, they bring this water to David and David does kind of the opposite of a diva move. It's this honestly genius political move that we can't get into, but uh, this like move of friendship where basically what he says is his, out of his gratitude, he was like, I cannot drink this thing because I would benefit from you sacrificing your life for me. It would be me profiting, like my desires being fulfilled by you uh, offering your life as a sacrifice to me. And I, I, I love you and I can't do that to you. I would profit off your love and I would profit off your loyalty and I cannot do that in good conscience. So back to John 6. Uh, While Jesus, uh, what he said would have been shocking and offensive on so many levels for a first century Jew, uh, and it was both shocking and offensive, um, it may not have been for the reasons uh, that we think, for the graphic reasons of blood and flesh. This passage, it it kind of reads as if Jesus has like a flagrant disregard uh, or a rebelliousness for the rules and the structure of things in the Jewish faith. And honestly, uh, sometimes Jesus does do that. He has a blatant disregard for the structure of things in uh, the Jewish faith. But um, but this, this eat of my blood, this drink of my eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, it was uh, bigger than broken rules and maybe harder for them to process, because Jesus wasn't bucking the system; he was fulfilling it. He wasn't saying, uh, don't follow the system. He was claiming to be the Jewish system. When Jesus uh, looked at a very Jewish crowd and said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, he was saying kind of the opposite of David refusing the water. Jesus was saying, to get to the Father, you must profit off of me. To get to the Father, you must benefit for me, If you want to live forever to be part of this kingdom of God that I'm always talking about, then it will require you to benefit from and profit from my love and my loyalty and my body, my life and my death. Read for that flesh and blood. Jesus wasn't uh, like beginning a practice of cannibalism. He was declaring the mercy and love and sacrifice and grace of the new order of God's coming kingdom. And in many ways, I would think for a first century crowd, that made cannibalism look like regular. Because grace was foreign. Grace was confusing. And grace kind of blew up their systems. Uh, Jesus' words here, they put one big fat hole in the crowd's worldview. And that's where we find them in our reading for today. Uh, when Chad picked up the reading, we find a crowd that's, that's shaken. When, when someone does what Jesus did and exposes or weakens our way of seeing things, we often respond just like this crowd did. And John tells us that the way they respond to Jesus' weird sermon is they leave. They get offended and they leave. We do that, Right? Uh, We prefer to avoid what's been costly or awkward, i.e. me and the boys in the bathroom. The last thing I wanted to do was see that lady's face. I pray I never do, right? We leave. Uh, N.T. Wright says, if you go to a meeting where someone demolishes the way you think and offers you instead a way of looking at the world, which though convincing will be extremely costly to you, you may find good reason to be somewhere else the next time that preacher comes to town. This is what sets up our story today, a disappearing crowd and confused disciples and offensive grace. And it's here in what reads like a bit of a low moment in Jesus' life. He's been on this high. He's fed 5,000 people with a few loaves and a few fish. He walked on the water. And then he has this crowd who, who, who wants to follow him anywhere. And then everybody leaves. And so what looks like a low moment, uh, Jesus looks at his disciples, at his 12 closest friends, and he says, are you leaving too? Like he offers them an out. The crowd is tired and they're confused and they're offended and they leave. And I assume so are the disciples, tired and confused and offended. And so Jesus offers them and escape. Uh, A few weeks ago, uh, I was at a cross-country meet, and it was the high school meet, and then the middle school meet afterward, and it was at Victor Ash, and it was pouring rain. Like, Pouring rain and I watched the crowd dwindle. Like the girls ran and then all the girl parents left. And then the boys ran and all the boys' parents left. And Erin Britt was there because she's a great youth pastor and she is and like all of our local area schools were there. And so she's a great youth pastor and she's a great young life leader. And so she's there to watch the race. And at some point I looked at her and I was like, You should go. Like you don't even have these aren't even your children. Like I have to be here. You should leave. Like if you're looking for a reason as your boss, like go home. Go get dry. Like go take a shower. And, of course, she did it. She stayed until the last middle school kid ran because she's wonderful. Um, But I think that's a a similar thing. Jesus looking at his disciples and saying, if you want an out, it's here. Are you going to leave too? Uh, And so Peter speaks up because he always speaks up. And he speaks for the group. And he says, what is maybe my favorite line in the whole New Testament? He says, Lord, to whom else would we go? Jesus offers an out and Peter says, but where else are we going to go? You have the words that bring life. Who else are we going to go to? For Peter, uh, the word had become flesh. It's what John promises in the very first chapter of his gospel is that the word would become flesh. And that happened for Peter. For Peter, Jesus was more than a miracle worker who could make a meal out of nothing. He was more than a good preacher or a, a bearer of good ideas. For Peter, Jesus had become the physical embodiment of hope and the physical embodiment of mercy and a loving father and an active kingdom all over the world. For Peter uh, and the disciples who decide to stay, including the writer John. Uh, the, the actual life or flesh and stories of Jesus mattered far beyond good teaching or far beyond good ideas. They had become hope and life and love and mercy. Uh, Peter got what Jesus had been daring the crowds uh, in the verses right before to go beyond like a one-dimensional understanding of what Jesus was doing and saying and, and inviting them into the word becoming flesh and blood in their lives. And for Peter, this had happened. For Peter, Jesus had become life and death and hope and mercy and an invitation to allow space for the living Christ to take up residence and room and move stuff around in his life and in his heart to shift his worldview. It's why uh, Jesus, right before he gives him an out, talks about the spirit as he's dealing with the disciples and the crowd's confusion. It's because he's saying, my message, it goes beyond listening listening. And it goes beyond implementing. It's about embodying and indwelling. Jesus, he's uh, answering the question, how do we move from just believing things about you to being filled with the words of eternity and the power of the kingdom of God? And in verse 63, he says, the spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. The message version says it like this, the spirit can make life, Sheer muscle and willpower don't make anything happen. My words are spirit words and life making words. Jesus, at this point in his ministry, is is transitioning, and he's trying to bring the crowd along with him. At this point in his ministry, he's not just talking about the kingdom of God, he's bringing it into the present moment into their lives, offering uh, it to anyone who wants a ticket, this chance to join up, this chance um, to the promise of eternity, lighting up their lives and lighting up their souls, an invitation to live beyond believing, an invitation to live beyond existing and into something very kingdom, something uh, not just heaven and otherworldly in a sense, but a chance to glimpse and to try and to play within the glory of the kingdom of God now. And that's what Peter's replying to. That's what Peter's replying to. Are you going to leave too? No. You are it. You are the word uh, eternal springing up within me. Where else are we going to go? Peter's response, it comes uh, not because Jesus is his last option, not because he's tried everything and nothing worked, but because Jesus is his only option. In his mind, Jesus is his every option. Peter has been in close proximity to Jesus. And so for him, love has gone beyond teaching to embodying. He's lived mercy, he's lived grace that he barely understands, and his faith has grown. Uh, There's a story that I read a a few years ago that I loved about C.S. Lewis. Um, C.S. Lewis uh, is a, a Christian thinker that um, almost every modern theologian points back to. Like he just has this big giant impact on Christian thinking. But um, but for many years he was an atheist. He was a professor at Oxford and he uh, didn't believe in Jesus at all. And he would meet up with his friends uh, usually in this pub and they would talk and they would talk about life and philosophy. But they would talk about religion and 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 C.S. Lewis's goal was just to be like you guys are. But nuts! Like you, you are nuts. This is none of this is true, um, and so we met with these people. And, and um, for you nerds in the room, there were uh, just a few of them. But one was Hugo Dyson, the other was J.R. Tolkien. So it's like that's it a pretty good room. Um, so he sits with them and he talks to them uh, and and, uh, C.S. Lewis he talks about this night, this night that changed his life forever, the night that he moved from not believing to believing and it's this this super simple moment but he says that they were actually walking and they're walking down the street and this breeze comes down the street and when it comes uh, the breeze breeze blows through them and there are leaves on the ground and it takes the leaves and they kind of dance around, you know we're about to see this in just a few weeks around here, right? Uh, Where the leaves kind of do the dancing thing and C.S. Lewis says uh, that he looked and he was like, oh, that's cool, like the leaves are doing the dancing thing. But when he watched uh, his friends, Hugo Dyson and J.R. Tolkien, when he watched them, he said, my friends saw something beyond the breeze. I saw breeze and leaves. They saw something beyond the breeze. Peter, I think, can't imagine that there's anywhere else to go or anywhere else to follow because Peter has seen beyond the breeze. He's seen something uh, beyond this world and something eternal, something beyond believing, something beyond life and beyond death, something uh, that he will never recover from, the kingdom of God at hand, the Jesus who can't quit filling the world with that kingdom. And so he says, where else would I go? Uh, I have this tattoo. Sorry, Mom. And... um, and it's, it's, uh, it's in the Old Testament, there's this thing that, that the Jewish people would do called Ebenezers and essentially what they would do is they would raise up a stone, like a rock, and um, they would say, uh, it would mark the faithfulness of God. So something would happen, and they would place a rock in the ground, and they would say, uh, uh, till now God was faithful. Like, God was faithful in this moment. And they would leave it there so that generations after generations after generations would come and see the faithfulness of God in these rocks that they would stand as the, these reminders. Um, uh, the way I read it one time is it said uh, God was in the room in this moment and so I just put them on my body I like put them on my wrist and so in these moments where it's like God was in the room where these moments where I see beyond the breeze I like I, I mark it on my body because I want to remember that God moved into the room in this moment these are my marks where where the times of my life that I could look at Jesus and say where else would I go because if I'm honest that's not all the time I, there's a lot of places I could go sometimes. And so I mark myself so I can remember that I have seen beyond the breeze, that I have, I have seen something worth remembering, I've seen something worth believing, something beyond belief, something that has embodied me, put eternity into my soul. I, I, I joke, but it's really kind of true that I hope my life is the kind of life where I like fill up my whole wing and maybe the other one <laughs> with these moments, these marks. So here's what I want to do today. Uh, Every Sunday we do something we call Sayla. It's just a breath or a pause. Um, And what I want to do is I kind of want to spend a little extra time this morning and um, just reflect on those kinds of moments in our lives. Uh, Moments when you've experienced something beyond belief, something more like indwelling, uh, something beyond the breeze. And I want to sit in those. And here's why. Um, You probably sometimes are like, why does she make us think about stuff so much? Um, A couple of reasons. (laughs) Um, One, I believe that we shouldn't just talk about Jesus. We should actually do stuff. I got really disillusioned by the church growing up because I was like, all we ever do is talk about this. Then we can do something. The second thing is because sometimes um, we are offended. We're offended by Jesus or often I think we're offended by the church. We're, we're, we're sitting in a fence. And I think sometimes uh, that makes us avoid the presence of Jesus. And so we, every single Sunday, do this moment where, like, for a moment we can't avoid it. For a moment we can't avoid it. And then the third reason that we do it, we remember because remembering builds faith in us. And as our faith builds, so does our vision and our experience of the kingdom of God. Uh, At this point in time, uh, I think that Jesus people need faith because the world is both offended and offensive. And I think it's important that we learn how to sit and remember to look at the moments beyond the breeze and allow them to sink into our lives and hearts and build faith. So here's what I want you to do. Put yourself in those moments, maybe three or four. At most, maybe just one. Uh, Put yourself in um, the the places like maybe it's a hospital. This happens a lot. A hospital waiting room or exam room or a doctor's office waiting room or exam room. This could be good or bad. I have this moment um, where Huck had a heart surgery and it didn't work. We got horrible news. The guy, it didn't fix. And, And that is one of my Ebenezer moments where I was like, I don't have anywhere else to go. You are the only place I have to go because my boy is not healed. And it's scary. So, hospital rooms, or maybe uh, a camp, or a mountain, or a wedding, or a funeral, or a ceremony, or a celebration, or death, or birth, or life, or a meal. You know, I say that there's meals that taste like God loves us and He's real. For for Peter, that was true. When Peter looks, you look back over Peter's life. There's this moment at a wedding uh, on a hillside in the ocean. Walks through the town. There are these moments in our life. So, put yourself uh, there, and and we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to use those moments to. Uh, Uh, make us deal with our offense, and grow our faith.